12 today, first two verses. Uh, but we're not back in our Roman series, so if you missed the last couple weeks, you know, you didn't just miss the last uh, five chapters. Uh, we are actually in a worship series, a series on worship. So uh, this is week three in an eight-week series. We're preaching on what, what is worship? Why do we do it? Why is it, why is it relevant uh, at all? So we're taking time to do this summer. And the real question about worship, honestly, is not what kind of music do you sing? What kind of styles do you have? Is the preacher any good? Um, those aren't the real questions, the primary questions about worship. The primary question is, who is this God that you claim to worship? Who is the God behind uh, worship? That's the question that Paul really uh, points us to because that, that answer affects every aspect, every day of our lives. So look, look with me at Romans 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, and it'll be on the screen. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you might discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you because we need you. Your word in Haggai chapter 1 says that you came and you stirred up the prophet and the priest, that you came and you stirred up the people to respond to your word. So, Father, would you come now and be present among us, make us aware of the fact that you are present among us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, a while back I heard uh, someone say, and uh, I can't even remember the conversation or who it was about or anything, but I heard someone say uh, about someone, you know, he goes to church every Sunday, but you wouldn't know it to talk to him. You wouldn't know it to listen to him. You wouldn't know it to see how he treats other people. You wouldn't know it to see uh, how he uh, runs his business. And why is that? I think partly it's because we've started to divorce, we talk about worship in these sermons, right? So we've started to divorce what we do on Sunday morning in here from the rest of our lives. We've started to make this Sunday morning completely different, completely divorced from uh, the entire rest of our lives, made that something completely different. And I would say one of, if not the greatest detriments to the truth and the reality of the gospel is the fact that we have begun in our heads to confine worship to one particular time, in one particular place, in one particular form, uh, every day. That's how we begin to define worship. We've limited it to the singing of songs and praying of prayers and the, and the listening to sermons uh, and the bulldog cafeteria of all places. Uh, we say things like, you know, we worship at 9 o'clock or we worship at North Kirkwood Middle School, and, and that's completely true, but it's totally inadequate to describe what God says worship really is. We've begun to believe that we can actually worship God in, in one hour on one day of, of the week. And then we wonder, why, why am I so, why is my, my life so disconnected from my faith? Why, why am I so passionless about my faith? And outsiders look in and say, wow, that must not be true. The gospel must not really be real. But Paul says, the Bible says, rubbish, because all of life is worship. Not just this morning, this place, this time, but all of life 24-7 is worship. Do you hear what Paul said in 12-1? You see how comprehensive, how majestic, how beautiful, how personal the vision of worship the Bible gives is? He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That you, present your bodies means your whole being, all of who you are, your emotions, your, your mind, your physical body, everything that you have, all your resources, present that. That is Worship. It is a holistic 
picture. Everything you say, every breath you draw, every gift you receive, every suffering you endure, every relationship you foster, every job you work is to be done in the worship of God. It's supposed to be everywhere you are, every day you live, with every person that you know. See, what we do here on Sunday morning is very important, it's commanded, but it's really a celebration of what's supposed to be living for God all of last week, worshiping Him all of last week, and an anticipation of worshiping Him all of this week, all of next week. And so how does that happen? Well, Paul tells us. And first of all, he says, worship, uh, all of life becomes worship when all of life is God-centered. See, worship, it always starts with God. Worship begins and it ends with God. We think it starts with singing and styles and, and music and, and, and preaching, but it doesn't start with that. It starts and it ends with God and with who He is. You know, we found a way to put me even in the center of worship. But worship is about really uh, who this God is. And, and so uh, all of life is worship when all of life is God-centered. But what does that really mean? And, and Paul says it means really being centered on God's mercy. Did you hear what he said when I read the passage? He said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, how? By the mercies of God. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. He says, I appeal to you, I call out to you, I'm reminding you, I'm charging you, not by guilt, not by duty and drudgery, but by God's mercy. And what he's saying is that nothing you do in life, nothing you and I do in life should be to uh, get God's mercy. But everything we do in life is to be a response to God's mercy, is to be living out of God's mercy. You see, he says the word therefore. I, I appeal to you, therefore, brother, right? You see a therefore in the Bible? What do you do? You find out what it's there for, right? That's the, the old adage. You guys have never heard that? That's not even funny. Wow, this is going to be a good crowd this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. What's he doing? He's actually referring back to the previous 11 chapters where he's poured out mercy upon mercy. If you think about what he has said, I mean, think back just a couple of verses in chapter 5, verse 1. He says, we've been justified by faith, and therefore we have peace with God. Or you think back to chapter 5, verse 8, where he says, while you were sinners still, Jesus died for you. Or back to 623 when he says, the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life, Jesus Christ our Lord. Order my favorites, 8.1. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. None. That's, that's, that's mercy. And the word mercy here is plural. Mercies. It's almost never plural in Scripture, but it's plural here because Paul is saying there's a million of them. That God has a million of them for you, and he's, he's throwing them out uh, mercy after mercy after mercy. And that we live our lives in response, Paul says, to that mercy. And so often, I think, we look at Christianity, we look at the gospel, and, and we, we look at it as some kind of like cosmic version of let's make a deal. You know, you've seen that game show before, or maybe you haven't. It's actually a new one out now if you used to watch the old one, but uh, it's actually pretty good. But, but the whole idea is, you know, the host comes up and, and he gives, you know, hey, let's make a deal. You do this, I'll do this. Or you do this, I'll, do, I'll give you this if you do that. And that's the way we look at God sometimes. As if God's up in the, up the sky saying, you know what, let's make a deal. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. You know what, let's make a deal. Um, uh, you know, you come to church a few times and, and give some money in the plate. I'm going to give you my mercy. I'm going to give you a pretty good life. Or, or let's make a deal. You know, you probably had a pretty crazy Saturday night last night, so you can make up for it all. Just come to church and go to a service, and, and it'll all be better, you know. Or, or uh, you know, you've been mean to your wife a lot lately, so just put a little few extra dollars in the offering plate, and 
you know, you're good, good to go. As if God is like a cosmic, uh, let's make a deal machine. But friends, that is religion. But it's not gospel. That's religion, but it's not gospel. The gospel is that our lives are not the constant working to get God's mercy, but a constant response to it. That's why you can say all of life is worship. The fact that God pursued you, the fact that God loved you, the fact that God initiated a relationship with you, the fact that Jesus died for you before you even knew it, before you were even born, before you even had the cognizance to think about God, that is all mercy. And it's beautiful, and it's personal, and it's actual, and it's real, and it's historical. And Paul says, by the mercies of God then, therefore, give your lives to him. We live every moment as a response. Every moment of our lives is to be lived as a response to God's mercy, not just Sunday morning. So all of life is worship. I, I saw this a couple months ago, actually, when um, you know, I, had, I was staying with the boys. I think Amy went out. She was going to the grocery store or doctor's appointment or something like that. I don't remember. But I was with the boys, whatever it was, and our oldest son, Jude, uh, he came up and said, Daddy, Daddy, I just want to go up and uh, I want to clean my room up for Mommy because I love her so much. I just want to have it clean. And when she gets home, I'll go and show it to her. And, uh, you know, I remember this because it's so rare that, you know, it happened once. So you tend to remember those kinds of things. Um, but he, he did that. And he went up. I was like, yeah, buddy, let's do it. You know, I ran out. We hel- I helped him a little bit. And he's cleaning everything up and had it, you know, perfect, five-year-old, perfect clean. And, uh, and, and he was just waiting. When's mom coming home? Looking out the window. When's she going to be here? And she came in. And as soon as she walked, mommy, mommy, let me show you what I did. Let me show you. Come, up and, come upstairs and see, see my room. He didn't do it because he had to, because it was duty. And he didn't even ask him to. But because he had been gripped by his mom's love, by her grace, by, his, by her mercy. It wasn't a payback. You can't pay back your mother for what she did for you. It was a response. It wasn't a payback. It was a response. And that's how every moment of our lives should be and can be in response to God's mercy. Not just Sunday morning, but every day a response to a merciful God. So all of life is worship when it's centered on God's mercy, but also when it's centered on his sacrifice. Uh, Paul goes further. We take the verse further. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What does that mean? Well, to, be a, a, to be a sacrifice means that you know, I lose this me first heart, this me first focus, and I begin to say to God, yours. You know, I sit around the kitchen table, I look at, these kids, my kids who I love, and I say, God, these are your kids. You know, or, or you can go online, go to your online banking and, uh, or your retirement accounts or investment accounts, whatever, look at those numbers, however big or small. Just look at those numbers and, and say to God, yours. Or look at your gifts and your skills and the successes that you had in life and, and say to God, they're not mine, these are yours. Yours. Look at your time and your agenda and your schedule. And say to God, yours. Because it's all his, and the question really is, how do I use it for him? 24 hours a day, seven days a week, living in a response to his mercy. Now, you sit, now I know a lot of you are probably saying, now, wait a minute. You said center on God's sacrifice, but now you're talking about me being the sacrifice. And I hear, you know, a lot, a lot of you are probably in here objecting, saying, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jeremy. This, this is my problem with church and religion and all this kind of stuff is that it's always about give more and do more and sacrifice more. Now you're telling me, come and be uh, a sacrifice. That's my whole problem with this stuff. 
And I know many of you are here this morning, you're thinking that way. Maybe, you can, maybe you're just visiting with a friend. Maybe somebody guilted you or forced you into being here. Uh, that's all fine, well and good. But, but let me try to make it worth your while for a minute. Let me just talk to you for just a second. Because you're thinking, I don't even worship. I don't even want to worship. So this text, this whole sermon series really doesn't mean uh, very much to me at all. But look at what Paul's doing. He is contrasting Christian worship with every other form and kind of worship. And here's the point he's making. Every person, whether Christian or non-Christian, every person, whether religious or irreligious, whether churchgoer or non-churchgoer, is a worshiper. Every person on this planet worships someone or some thing. Because, as I said before, worship's not just singing or praying or being in this room or listening to a sermon. Worship is about what you give worth to. Worship is about what you value, what you treasure. All worship is is giving ultimate value to something in your life above other things. And every single person does that. Every single person worships. It's not about a few activities on Sunday morning. It's about who your God is. And therefore, the question is not when you will worship or, in you will wor- or, or if you will worship. It is who you will worship or what you will worship. It's not whether you'll worship. It is what or who you're going to worship. And you're saying, I don't want to be a sacrifice. But the truth is, whatever you give yourself to, you sacrifice yourself for that thing. But whatever you give yourself to, that's worship. Whatever has your allegiance, that's worship. And it always will require you to sacrifice yourself, right? I mean, think about it. Let's give a couple practical examples. If the most important thing, the most important thing I give value to in my life is being liked and, and having everybody like me and, and respect me, if that's the most important, that's what I'm worshiping in my life, I've got to sacrifice. I've got to sacrifice my standards. I've got to sacrifice uh, who I really am, who God's really made me to be, because I've got to fit everybody else's expectation. One more practical example. If, if you worship it, the most important thing in your life is having a relationship. You worship relationships. You've got to always have a, 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 a man or a woman or whatever the situation is. Let's say you always got to have a, a, a man. You, you worship that relationship. And you've got to sacrifice. You've got to become a sacrifice to get it. You've got to sacrifice your standards. You've got to sacrifice your time. You've got to sacrifice other relationships. You have, to have a, you have to sacrifice to get the thing that you worship. Now, Here's where Christianity is different. Because did you hear what Paul said? Because he didn't say, be a sacrifice. He didn't say, present your bodies as a sacrifice. What did he say? This is where we have to read the Bible so carefully. He said, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, how in the world is that possible? What is a sacrifice? A sacrifice is something you willingly put to death. A sacrifice is something that's killed. He's using the temple language. A temple, in the temple, what would you do? Come to worship, and you would throw this bull or this goat or this uh, animal up on an altar, and, and, and you would slay it and shed its blood. That's what a sacrifice is. It's willingly put to death. How in the world can you be a living sacrifice? How is that possible? And we see the answer, really, in about 15 minutes when we come to the Lord's table Because the truth is is that you and I can be a living sacrifice because Jesus was willing to be a dying sacrifice. See, every other religion, every other thing you worship will require you to get up on that altar and you to be sacrificed. Jesus is the only God. This God, Jesus, is the only God that you can worship who willingly got up on that altar for you. And he became a dying sacrifice so we could be a living one. 
He came from heaven to earth so you and I could go from earth to heaven. He allowed his body to be wounded so our body could be restored. He allowed himself to absorb God's judgment and to be captive to it so that you and I could be released from it. He gave his all in death so that we could give our all in life. All of life is worship, 24-7. And the reason that you can look at all your stuff, what I said at the beginning, the reason you can look at all your stuff and say to God, yours, is because Jesus looked at heaven and salvation and redemption. And he said to us with joy, yours. It's yours. Because I'm a dying sacrifice. So you can be a living one. And therefore, not just Sunday morning, but all of life is worship. And worship, to do that, worship has to be centered on um, God's mercy, has to be centered on his sacrifice, but also centered on his glory. Let's finish verse 1 up. He says, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now we'll look at the word spiritual there. He says spiritual worship. The word is not really spiritual in the Greek. The word is uh, logikin, which you hear the word logic, right? So see, if you get nothing else, you already learned a Greek word this morning. You got the word logic. So the word there is actually logikin. So the word actually means reasonable, rational, logical worship. So what is he saying there? So again, look at the contrast, right? Paul's actually using a a word that the Greeks used for their worship to now use for our worship. And, And think about the Greek gods, where did the Greek, you had a lot of gods, right? And, and the gods lived in the temples. They lived on Mount Olympus. And if you wanted to go to worship those gods, you went to the temple. You did a little sacrifice, had a little ceremony, said a little prayer, and then you went about the rest of your life. There's a little god, and therefore it required a little bit of yourself. There's a little god with a little bit of power, lived in a little place, who required very little of you. And Paul says that's the logical response to that kind of god. But Paul says the logical response the only logical way to worship our God is different because he just blows that out of the water. Because he says, our God's not like that. Our God's not contained in the walls of the bulldog cafeteria. Our, dog, our, dog, our God can't be contained by time and by space and by uh, services or forms or anything like that. In fact, he just finished Romans eleven thirty three to 36. You know, the chapter and verse, that wasn't in the original manuscript. That was added 100 years later. So this is how he leads into this passage about God. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given a gift to God that he could be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. See, worship isn't a feeling. It isn't a time. It isn't a place. It is a response to the grandeur and the majesty of God. That's what worship is. And if Paul says the only logical connection of that is if you have a big God, in fact, an infinite one, the only logical thing you can do is give him your whole life. If you have a little God, you give him a little bit of yourself. But if you have a big God, you give him all of yourself in all of life. And how puny we make God when we think that we can simply worship him in one hour, on one day of the week, in one single place. We can't get away with giving part of me at convenient times. Paul says the only logical, rational response is to give all of me all the time because all of life is worship. That's how Paul could say, 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do it all to the glory of God. 
That's how he can say something like that. The real test of our worship here this morning on Sunday mornings is really Monday morning. The real test of what we do here is really we show up to the job, we show up to take care of our kids. Uh, the real test of Sunday is Monday. You know, I taught a class in the spring uh, on work and vocation and, and how, what, how God's involved in our lives from, from Monday to Saturday, and I, it was a great, I had a good time there. I think other people did too. Um, but one of the first questions I asked people is, why do you go to work? Why do you work? People had a lot of different answers, but not one person said, <clears throat> I go to work to worship God. I go to work to glorify God. Now, this is July 4th. We celebrate our country this, uh, this weekend, and, and you have to know the reason that the Western world has had so much economic success is because in the 1500s, 1600s, the, in the Reformation, the Protestants developed this thing called the Protestant work ethic. Because they said the primary reason you go to work is not first and foremost to provide for your family and earn a living and save for retirement. The primary reason you go to work is to worship God. It's to glorify Him. And you can do anything, whether sweeping floors all the way up to being a CEO, to the glory or the detriment of, of God. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying we can do anything. You realize, I know that a lot of you are, are, are young moms, you stay home with your kids. You can raise your kids. You can, you can care for your kids to the glory of God. You can change a diaper to the glory of God. And I'm totally serious. Why? Because when you change that diaper, when you, you're, 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 you're literally doing something that what Paul says here is holy and pleasing to God. Because you're taking time to care for the child that God has given you. That's a spiritual thing. That's an act of worship. When you get your hands dirty with that diaper, you are showing to that child the same mercy and compassion that God has shown you. And you're saying, I'm acting toward you in the same way that God loves to act toward me. All the way down to changing a diaper can be done as worship and the glory of God. And the fact that we don't worship God with all of our lives betrays the fact that it's not a logical response. We see him as small and not big. Why don't we worship God in our work or why don't we worship God with our money or with our time or our schedules or our gifts? It's because those things are bigger than our God. We made those things bigger than God. So what is it this morning you made big in your life, in your heart, so that it prevents you from all of life as worship? And then how do we change that? Paul's going to address that here next in verse 2. Um, he moves into verse 2 and says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. You see, see what he's saying there? Whatever you worship is going to change you. See, he says you'll either be conformed. Everybody worships, right? Everybody worships. And you see they're going to conform you to that image, or, or you worship Jesus and it transforms you to his image. And, and Paul says change is more than just avoiding the bad. That's, that's kind of the reputation Christianity gets a lot of the time. He says don't be conformed to this world, or the better word is age, but be transformed. Right? So you can you not be conformed and still not be transformed. In other words, you can follow the whole list of do's and don'ts, a whole list of regulations, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, don't go with the girls who do. You can do all that and still not be transformed. See, that's funny too. I mean... I, I'm not sure how to read that. 
You can follow the whole list of evangelical do's and don'ts and still not be trained. You can be totally lack conformity to the world and yet not be transformed. That's what Paul's saying. When he uses that word, he's using the same word that he used in Romans 8 where he says the whole point of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image and person and likeness of Jesus Christ. So the whole point is not just to avoid the bad, it's to be transformed. He's, he's saying, in other words, look, it's not about just not getting angry anymore. It's about being transformed and having the heart of Jesus that is always loving, 24-7. He's saying it's not just about you know, getting rid of a complaining heart. It's about gaining a heart that overflows with thanksgiving, that overflows with praise. It's not about just getting rid of the lust in your heart. It's about replacing that with a passion and a love for Christ. It's about cultivating a life 24-7 that's all worship. You can't just say it's about identifying you know, petty jealousies and insecurities. It's about transformation. It's about getting a heart that's like Jesus, totally content all the time with God. We have to be transformed. And that's what, uh, that's what it takes. Um, I, I thought about this in parenting this week, too, because... Um, you know, we had VBS this week, and it was this phenomenal week. And uh, Jude, my son, he enjoyed it more than anything in the world. Uh, he was most sad on Friday because it was his last day of VBS. And, uh, you know, during VBS, they took up an offering for Joplin. And, and so on Tuesday, uh, he went upstairs to his piggy bank, and he got some money out of, his, out of his piggy bank to give to that offering. But when he got home on Tuesday, he still had the money in his pocket. And I said, well, buddy, why, why didn't you put it in the bucket? And he said, well, well, Daddy, I, I wanted to. Um, but I thought about it, and I realized I might need to save some to go to CC's Pizza. <laughs> See, I could go a long way with that, but the, so, but I realized at that point that, so the idea was not just to get him to go get that money in that bucket. I could, get, I could go on Wednesday and force him to get that money in that bucket. That's not hard. We can all do that with a five-year-old. The goal, though, is to see a heart transformed that wants to put the money in the bucket. And I think through everything that happened at VBS, his heart was transformed, actually, and he did, and it, he loved it, and it was fun. Uh, that's the conclusion of the story. But that's the idea for us is that it's not just about con- not conforming, but it's about being transformed because what we worship is what we love what we love, we will become like. And I'd love to go ahead and get to the renewal of mind and the will of God and finding the will of God. Um, and I'm going to skip that and just move to the bottom, uh, bottom line here and the final point. Because I just said that we become like what we worship. We resemble what we revere in life. And so to be transformed, we've got to ask the question, what was Jesus like? And if you read the Gospels, Anybody will admit that the person described, Jesus, the way he's described in the Gospels, is unlike any person that has ever existed or ever lived in all of history. Think about it for a minute. Jesus was the most free person you have ever met. The most free person you have ever 
met. He was never stricken by the need to please others and fill their expectations. He was the most secure person you ever met. He was never staring in the mirror and worried about other people's uh, likes and dislikes, or was he relevant, or uh, what did he look like, or his body image. He was the most secure person you ever met. He was the most uh, uh, compassionate person you ever met. When he was being brutally tortured and hung on a cross, he cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Most compassionate person. The most giving, selfless person you ever met. No one in history has ever been more concerned with the physical and emotional and spiritual needs of everybody else around him than Jesus was. The most engaging person you've ever met. Throngs of people came to hear him speak and they listened to him preach for an entire day. And they said, we've never heard anyone speak like this. He speaks with such passion and authority. Jesus was the most fearless person you have ever met. Nothing could stymie him. Nothing could take him off course. In fact, in John 10, he says, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly on my own accord. Now, I don't care who you are this morning, Christian or non-Christian. You want to be like that. You want to be a man or a woman who is free and secure and unworried and unburdened and lacking anxiety and fearless and come what may, courageous. I don't care who you are. You want to be like that. And Paul says when our worship moves from just being Sunday morning at 9 or 1045 and becoming all of life 24-7 response to his mercy... By the grace of God, we will begin to see transformation and become like Jesus. I want us to close this morning uh, in corporate prayer. I just wrote a little prayer for us based on this passage. And uh, if, if you feel like this prayer fits your conviction, you can pray it. If not, you can just spend time reflecting. But we're going to pray, and then we'll have a minute of reflection. Um, and then come, we'll come to the Lord's table. So would you pray with me? The prayer is going to be up on the screen. Father, everything I have is yours. Everything I know, see, experience, and possess is a gift of your mercy. O God, fill me with a passion to present all I am, everywhere I am, to you as a living sacrifice. Give me your heart for your world, your mercy for your people, your joy at your will, your commitment to your glory. Father, in response to your grace, I consecrate all that I am and all that I have to you. May my every deed reflect your mercy, every thought your character, every desire your love. Lord, rebuke my self-centeredness and grant me a Jesus-centeredness from which true freedom flows in all things. Make me a living sacrifice to you. Let's take a moment of silent reflection.